This is episode number 19, coming to you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studios in Oakland, California. It's been a whirlwind couple of weeks for your boy, but I'm so happy to be back with you all, and thank you for tuning in. Life Podcast wants to say thank you to Lettuce, the band, the community, the organization. Obviously, we do a lot of Lettuce stuff here on the Up for Life Podcast, and it's no secret that they're my favorite band, and uh, cats that I'm lucky to have a front row seat to the meteoric evolution that is Lettuce Funk. So I just wanted to take a moment at the front end of this podcast as we arrive at the end of uh, let season, if you will, for myself. Uh, we got the four-night run in SF with Schofield at SF Jazz, two nights at Swanee for Swanee Rising, Rage Fest in New Orleans during Jazz Fest, and then the massive... Rage Rocks Extravaganza at Red Rocks uh, a week and a half ago. So um, I have just the amazing privilege to um, cover this band for a long time now. Been honored to have been tapped for some uh, projects behind the scenes as they prepared the unveiling of their new album Elevate, which dropped on June 14, and you're hearing the final song on Elevate Trapezoid Dub. Uh, Elevate was recorded with and co-produced and engineered by Russ Elevato, who made D'Angelo Voodoo with D, as well as Black Messiah, and a number of albums from the Soul Quarry and Diaspora. So, uh, just want to shout out Lettuce for this amazing run that they are on and will continue to on their 
lengthy summer and fall touring schedule. And want to just give a personal thanks to Hill Clinton, who uh, handles the band's day-to-day for Regime 72. And also a shout-out to the incredible Bo Williams, who will be on the podcast in the near future, uh, who is their tour manager and kind of operates their their touring organization with a great crew, including my good buddy Andy Loy. So, really, just every week, as you know, we take a moment to give thanks to somebody or an organization or a group in the community. And uh, this time I wanted to personally thank Lettuce um, for all that they do uh, for all their fans and, and for the amazing art that they put out into the ether and their performances, which resonate so deeply with so many of us. Um, you can check out some of my own words and thoughts on Elevate, uh, the feature article that I published on the day of release. It's called Welcome to Elevation Station. You can find it on Live for Live Music. And then you can also find a uh, recap of the incredible weekend at Red Rocks, which included not only Lettuce Rage Rocks with Soul Rebels and Talk, but also the night before, uh, Anderson Pack and the Free Nationals, including our good pal Maurice Mobetta Brown, uh, hit Red Rocks on their Best Teeth in the Game tour. And that was a whirlwind experience in itself. Um, then late night that night, we headed to Denver where uh, Kunj and Scott, uh, Kunj from Live for Live Music, Scott from Cervantes, put together a, sort of a super jam with the Free Nationals and Mo Betta. That also included Adam Deitch and Ryan Zoidis from Lettuce and Anderson Pack himself, which was a dream come true for this guy. And I just had to write about it, hence the story fantasy on the front range um, which is just about the incredible weekend that we shared in colorado with lettuce anderson pack and uh extended fam and fans so it's been a kind of dream come true uh run for the band and for fans like myself who have just been along for the ride for many years and um just wanted to just take an opportunity to publicly say thank you to uh, Lettuce and everybody involved with the band for all these experiences that they facilitate for us. Um, so with that, we'll turn the page and head into episode 19 of the Up for Life podcast. I'm your host. Gets. Before we go any further, I'd like to touch on a topic of a rather serious nature, Um, and that is the recent allegations uh, levied against Tony Scavone of Disc Jam Music Festival. I'm not going to discuss the nature of the allegations here. Um, They're freely available in a blog post from Turtle Boy Sports, and more importantly, uh, a long Facebook post um, where many 
women have come forward with stories of sexual abuse. Now, I want to be clear. I do not know Tony Scavone. I've never met him in person, and I've never worked with him or covered his festival, written about it, etc. I did give the festival a plug on this podcast once, and for that, I'm here to apologize and take it back if I can. Um, I was advised after I gave that plug that I didn't want, that I was told I w- wouldn't want to work with a guy like that because he's a shady business back practices. And that seems to be the prevailing word uh, for folks in the aftermath of the more serious, horrifying allegations is that people said, yeah, they heard he was a bad businessman, but they didn't know he was this kind of uh, monster. And I'd uh, regrettably have to say the same thing. Um, but even though I've never worked for him, I've never ex- accepted a dollar from him. We did have a phone conversation about maybe doing some marketing, which is why I plugged it on the podcast, but that never materialized. And I'm, I'm thankful that it didn't. Um, nonetheless, I'm ashamed, embarrassed for our community. And I feel terrible about how many women suffered in silence for so long. So instead of doing a whole lot of talking, I just want to say, I'm listening. We are listening. And I want to stand in solidarity with the women, not only the ones who have been hurt, but all the women in all the music communities that I am blessed to be a part of and avail myself to you to listen if you need to share or are compelled to um, share any sort of uh, experiences that you feel uh, that you suffered in silence. Um, You can reach me, uh, b.getz at upfullife.com. But in lieu of talking a lot, I just want to say I'm sorry and that I'm listening and uh, that we stand in solidarity with you. So I'm going to take a moment here and not talk as symbolism uh, for the suffering and silence and also now the listening. featured guest this week is none other than Luke Caranta from Tubop Crew. Luke uh, was the final episode that I conducted during my time in New Orleans this year over the two weeks of Jazz Fest. 
and uh, also benevolent host uh, during a part of my time down there. He and his lovely partner, Joanne, who's also a dear friend. So naturally, since I was doing these interviews and I'd been hanging out and going to a bunch of uh, shows that Luke was playing in, thought I'd sit down and have a proper powwow with my man. So yeah, that's what you're about to hear towards the end of Jazz Fest, actually the very last day of my time in New Orleans. Sat down with Luke at his kitchen table in the uh, Bayou St. John area of the city, down near the Jazz Fest fairgrounds, and uh, we just had a conversation about how he came to play drums and percussion, being from up in New York, Brooklyn, and uh, how he found his way down to Asheville, formed Two Bob Crew, got into West African music first, obviously, then formed Two Bob Crew, and the different incarnations of the band then and now, his relocating to New Orleans, uh, tripped over to Africa multiple times, he's visited there, and studied with some drum masters, and studied and performs with uh, a master over here. Uh, often with Weedy Brema, who was also a guest of this podcast some weeks ago. Um, and Luke, yeah, he's just a really diverse cat musician, uh, solid dude in the culture, has a lot to share, really revealing interview. Um, so yeah, we'll sit down and chop it up with Luke Caranta from Two Bob Crew, and then uh, we'll be back with another short interview during my time in New Orleans. But first, a chat with my man Luke, Two Bob Crew, on the Up For Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. Louisiana, the tail end of Jazz Fest 50, uh, the 50th anniversary of New Orleans Jazz Fest. Pretty epic, and it's been a hell of a run. And this is the Up for Life podcast, broadcasting from Jazz Fest 50. And uh, your host, B. Getz. I'm here with Luke Caranta of Two Bob Crew and a myriad of other projects down here in New Orleans and in Asheville, and he's got some roots up in New York. So welcome to the show, Luke. Thanks, B. Yeah, man, it's a long time in the making. I've been a fan of your band and projects for a long time, and I've covered you a couple times, and we've become friends through the years. But this is cool. We're going to get to sit down and really talk about your career and, and your band and sort of your intention. Absolutely, man. It's cool to sit down, um, get a chance to do it more formally. We're, we're doing it informally every time I see you. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I learn a lot from you when we have those kind of conversations, and that's why I wanted to ask you on the show. So let's start right now with, we're down here at Jazz Fest, uh, and, you know, Two Bob Crew is, in essence, an Asheville band. You were based in Asheville, but, you know, you guys have sort of spread your wings into different places and, and different projects, but you do come together every year for Jazz Fest. You always play one or two shows mm-hmm. here during the course of the two weeks. Um, 
but the difference is this year you're, you're uh, still on the uh, the wheels of the latest LP that you put out in mm-hmm. 2018, mm-hmm. Stilo. Yeah. Right. So this was some, uh, some people's first time hearing the new material, right? Yeah, actually, yeah, definitely. Even people like close to the band, you know, commented that maybe it was their first chance to hear it. I mean, we've been a few times. We've been to the Leaf. Uh, we were here for two nights in February at the Leaf. Um, and then we uh, had another visit to the Leaf. So, and we were by Boogaloo like a year ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've definitely <coughs> played the material in town. But yeah, I, I actually had a number of people comment and were like, it was their first time hearing it. And it sounded great. And people were like, it sounded great at tips. Right on. So that was cool to hear. Yeah, the Tipitina show was, was sweet because it was in the middle of the week, so it wasn't too crazy. All, all the friends and fam could come. Yeah. And it was like a great vibe, like a total jazz fest kind of vibe. Yeah, definitely, yeah. That was like what I was hoping. It had like a really nice feel, definitely like a lot of friends and family. Um, it was great to play that room, like kind of now that Galactic, you know, sure. owns it. And I just felt like from all the staff... You know, just the whole interactions, everyone was, like, so happy and stoked for the venue. The vibe is up. Oh, yeah. Like, people are just, like, the future's bright, and it was really exciting to just be there. And, like, I haven't played that room with the crew in a long time, so it was it was a nice moment. And we did it with Nth Power, yeah. so it was, like, a really nice um, kind of fan vibes. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, that's, uh, not everybody knows about Two Bob Crew. I mean, you're a popular band. You've been around for over a decade, but... Uh, you know, I wanted to kind of familiarize the audience a little bit with what we're talking about. Uh, you know, it's hard to ask you to, to genreify the band mm-hmm. or place words on it. But when you're describing, like, the music, the intention, where it comes from, where you're trying to take it, like, give me a few uh, basic ideas there. Um, yeah, I mean, really with the crew, like, essentially the band started from friendships more than anything. Uh, like Justin Perkins and Drew Heller, um, co-founders of the band with myself, um, Dave Pransky and Teal Brown. Like those guys played music together since they were kids, like five and six years old. Had pictures of that of themselves banging on pots and pans, like in the kitchen. So they're like these lifelong, you know, friends, brothers that had multiple bands through the years: high school, middle school, high school bands. And then I met those guys college years, and like. Our, our kind of interest in West African music kind of crystallized together as friends, you know what I mean? I met them through Teal. Teal and I started at uh, Warren Wilson College in Asheville, North Carolina together. And then um, Teal was friends with those guys since middle school, played with those guys. I remember Teal and Drew playing in a jazz group in college together. So kind of it all materialized around those friendships and then this kind of interest in West African music we all had and like this deep curiosity that started with the drumming music in college years, after we all had met kind of through that, and then um, led to numerous trips to West Africa starting like in 99. Three of us, Teal and my good friend Greg, went to Guinea, Conakry for a month, and then uh, to Ivory Coast uh, two years later with like a large group, you know, that included Justin and Drew. So those were like the roots of the band right there. Um, uh, Trips after that that Drew and Justin took to uh, Bamako. They were in Bamako for four months. It was right after that trip that they kind of, I remember getting emails on the phone I, when they were uh, in, in Mali saying, bro, like, we got to start a band. And, like, they were um, emailed Dave and were like, they emailed Dave and they were like, you got to buy a bass, bro. Because at that, <laughs> at that time he was just like a mandolin player, you know? Okay. And, uh, and Teal. And then after that is like when the first gig happened as like the crew, I remember 
um, busting down from New York. Right. Like, and hit, us hitting in Nashville in, like, January of 05, you know, and started playing, like, you know, traditional music and uh, writing some originals kind of with instrumentation. Talk about the instrumentation. Yeah. It's really a huge part of the sound. At least, what was it back then? Um, back then, originally, it was exactly what it is to this day, really. It was uh, drum set. Mm-hmm. Teal was playing drum set. Uh, bass. After Dave bought a bass, he started playing bass. Right. And then uh, Justin Perkins playing Camelangoni, right. which is a 12-string harp originated from the Hunter's Harp. And not really an old, like, 50 to 100 years tops. Um, really more like 50 to 75, like, in terms of younger generations putting more strings on the har- the Hunter's Harp. It was more like a six-string harp. Okay. And that's, like, Hunter's meaning um, this... Um, ethnic group and culture of hunters in Mali um, that um, also play uh, these harps and uh, an instrument called the Karanye, which actually is integrated into my percussion setup. Um, so he plays that harp. He also plays Kora, 21-string mm-hmm. um, harp from West Africa dating back to at least a 1,000 years old and played all over that area, That m- a lot of which used to be the Mande Empire. Okay. Um, so it's a Manding, Mande instrument, actually a griot instrument, for those of you who may know or not. Um, griot is like the culture bearers, the historians, musicians um, in Mande culture. So the balafone, the kora, and the jelly and goni are the three instruments, you know, from that um, culture, like culture bearers. Um, so it's, a, it's like an oral tradition. History, music is an oral tradition that, you know, is passed down as well. Um, so that's like the base of a lot of the traditional music that informs like the Tubob Crew's inspiration. Yeah, because uh, honestly, that was my introduction to those instruments, period. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not like average folks here, even people like me who are crazy into music are being introduced to those type of instruments yeah. on a regular basis. So you can imagine when I showed up at Bear Creek in 2008 or nine, um, and heard you guys perform and heard these, like, what I've come to realize are you know, ancient or old traditional melodies and sure. performed on at least the, the one instrument you said is thousands of years old and from the other side of the, you know, the world. And for, you know, young people that are just kind of encountering art. Yeah. Um, it was a powerful experience. There's so much depth yeah. to, you know, to what you're presenting yeah. artistically. Yeah, I can see that. And, uh, yeah, and also a lot of um, questions like arise sure. immediately, obviously, from never even seeing these instruments, trying to understand the context, where they come from, etc. Which is cool, I mean, to be able to open up that world for people musically, because obviously we're fans of West African music, specifically Mali music, music from Guinea and Ivory Coast. Those are the three major influences, the places we've traveled, places we have relationships with teachers, you know, friends right. and family there, people that um, we first began studying with and then began to go back and visit. And um, now, you know, uh, our mentors and friends, you know. Sure. Um, so... It is cool to pass that on and open up a whole world of music to people because if you start digging, you know, it's endless. I mean, you get into all the great music from West Africa all over, you know. And that's a cool thing, you know, as fans of the music to be able to, yeah, like turn other people onto it. The style is, you know, 
a, a cool byproduct of like making music in the style, you know, and educating people about the instruments, you know, and also the music. Right, kind of passing on the traditions in a different way yeah. to people who otherwise would have no idea that it exists. Yeah. Well, I got to ask you this, man. I kind of wondered about it. Um, at any point in time, and, you know, oh, from 99 to 05 or whatever, that incubation mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. of Tubab Crew and mm-hmm. the relationships, the friendships you mm-hmm. said that mm-hmm. formed the bond, mm-hmm. did any of you as, like, you know, Caucasian mm-hmm. people from the West, mm-hmm. did you ask for permission to, to, to have these melodies and then, like, sort of repurpose them into American jam dance music or did you just kind of do it and I'm just curious because it's yeah. like you know there's a lot, no, a lot of history a, there absolutely no it's a great question um yeah I mean there was a relationship with the teachers um I think that we formed right away that they understood that we were interested clearly to come and live with them you know for um so it was a very personal kind of living with them and their families you know type of situation immediately with uh, our teacher Kumbunakande and Konakri you know, welcomed us into his home, and, you know, we hung with his kids, played with his kids, um, you know what I mean, like, musically, you know, as well as, you know, spent, you know, a month, and then uh, a second time in 2001, another um, three weeks, three and a half weeks with him. Um, so that was, like, our initial kind of orientation, you know? Right. And, and also, um, so there was a lot that happened in terms of him being a father figure and a mentor, and you know, over conversations, understanding that, like, it was important for him that this music, you know, was passed on to the West, you know what I mean? Right. And that, like, it was important that we were excellent students, you know what I mean? Right. Because it wasn't, you know, just some musical style that um, can just be kind of repurposed in a way like unless it's done with like intense you know study and respect for the style you know yeah 100% that's basically why I asked yeah and then there were other messages too later before Tubod really formed earlier we were really intensely studying the um drumming and dance styles you know Mm -hmm. and uh another um, you know primary influence um in 99 or actually met him in 98 uh, touring and performing with Babatunde Alatunji mm. at SOBs in New York was Madhu wow. Dembele, uh, incredible djembe player. I mean, really, when he came to New York in 95, he just, like, flipped the script. Like, New York's best drummers were like, yeah, wow. Like, I I've, uh, have some, you know, relationships and friends and people I played with for a number of years in New York that also were there at that time playing at a high level. <laughs> they were like, bro, Madhu was a... F- Phenom, you know what I mean? Right. So he also he actually recorded with Herbie Hancock on uh, Gershwin's World, first two tracks on Gershwin's World, uh, recorded with Ziggy Marley. So Madhu is like incredibly talented, uh, Ivoirian, he's from Ivory Coast. So we met and I just started studying with him in New York, Let, went in 2001 and spent like six weeks with him and his family oh, in wow. Abidjan with a group of like 14 of us after we had gone back to Kumbanas and it was drummers and dancers on that trip. And then we stayed with Madhu and Madhu's older brother, Draman, also amazing master drummer, uh, and musical family, Adama, his younger brother, 
now lives in Asheville for a number of years, actually has a band with Justin and Drew from Two Bob Crew called Les Amis. Okay. So a musical family, you know, and Amadou's now in France. Um, Dramen, I still talk to regularly. Like, um, we've gone back. Drew went back uh, after that trip, I think the previous year. And on that trip, we met Lamine Sumano, our longtime friend and mentor. I just saw him last March in Bamako. Incredible guitar player, chord player, Justin's chord teacher, uh, arranger, you know, um, works with a ton of artists in Bamako. And really just an amazing person, man. Um, he's like a, like a father figure to us all, you know, like great friend. Um, Drew and him talk, I, I mean, every day it seems like, you know, when we're on tour. Um, so, I mean, actually, you know, we met him and then that's what led to Justin and Drew being a Bamako and spending all the time with I mean. At one point, Lamine, you know, told Drew that, like, ultimately, like, he's not bound by the tradition the way Lamine is, you know? Okay. Because Lamine's of the tradition, from the tradition. Like, he encouraged Drew to, like, play from the heart, you know? Not necessarily adhere to what he's supposed to, but to play what he in his heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Coming from the masters. Yeah. And that... And that kind of extends, too, to the feedback, actually, that we've gotten over the years from everyone that has either seen the crew come into our kind of orbit, you know, that are um, musicians, you know, um, really across the board. I mean, we haven't had anyone, you know, really, you know, criticize, you know, um, the way that we've you know you integrated the and used the the inspiration and the traditional melodies into you know the kind of band american band jam rock format that we have i mean all like those that those kind of words from lamine have echoed in the in the way that like also i think that there was actually more props given because we were doing it the way we were if we had been out there playing the tradition you know and you know what i mean and not really not, nailing it. Well, no, not nailing it. I think, ultimately, I think the the, the blend, because ultimately here we're talking about reappropriate, we're talking about appropriation of culture. Right, right. You know, and appropriation of culture and all these things is like a very intense and like, you know, hot button discussion in recent years or, you know, and oh, I mean, in terms of black music and people playing black music and giving respect and royalties where royalties are due, et cetera. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, no, and I mean, deal. the huge deal, you know, across, you know, with all the, you know, um, nuances of all that stuff, you know? So I think that the fact that the dedication, you know what I mean? Um, always, you know, the acknowledgement and, you know, um, of of all the influences, the teachers, you know, being very public about that. Right. Always, like, um, finding ways to raise money, like, and, like, tie it to our teachers in a way, too. Like, over the years, um, we've raised a lot of money to send the Lamine for, like, music school, you know what I mean, that he has been working on. Um, constant contact with Dramen and, you know, but, like, on a deeper level than that, just, you know, they, I think, you know, kind of had you know, entrusted us with the, as like, you know, culture bearers in a way, in a different way, to reach a different audience, you know? 
you know, maybe not sad, but I think that's been always the vibe, you know. The only people we've ever caught any flack from was like, I swear to God, across the board, was like Peace Corps volunteers because there's the issue of Tubabu. Mm. Tubab, the word. And it means non-African. It means not of the continent. You're not born here, you know what I mean? And Tubabu, like, um, for them was, was sensitive because they were like, we've heard, oh, I lived in a village for two years and like I could never not be called Tubabu, you know what right. I mean? Yeah, take a derogatory term. In their experience. Yeah, to that, right. To us, it was just an, we're Tubabu. Yeah. We were, you know, we love this music. We're learning this music. I mean, this this name came after years of traveling back and forth and, you know, beginning to play in the style and having all these relationships formed with our teachers, etc. And then to, um, you know, like, of course, we were called Tubabu, you know. In Ivory Coast, you know, I don't think that many. At that time, it was a one. Yeah, like, the kids were freaking out. They would sing this whole song to us that was like this pop song on TV that like featured a white woman. So they always sung this song to us every <laughs> every time we passed by for like six weeks, to Babu, and then they sing this awesome song, and it was sick. And then, but you know, also like the family, you know, they joked and they. I remember one time called Madu to Babu because he had been like in America for so long. Okay, you know what I mean? Right. Like joke. You know what I mean? Like a joke. So Sarcastic. ultimately, ultimately, it's not derogatory. It's more matter of fact. Right. A to Babu, like. You're not from here, obviously. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Seriously. So it, I guess, and not that we did it consciously at the time, but maybe that's part of what always got it. We what chuckle out of you know everyone from you know the the uh, you know greatest you know West African musicians that we've been you know honored to spend the time with you know and meet over the years. Just the whole two Bob crew. It's like a immediately diffusing. Like obviously we're calling ourselves the two bob crew you know what right. I mean? you know what i mean obviously we're not african obviously yeah. this is a tradition that we love and respect and you know i mean to you know and you know we're playing material that's you know public domain stuff you know right. what i mean it's it's all in that realm of traditional music you know what i mean everyone cuts kyra everyone cuts you know what i mean a lot of these tunes that have been on some of our records you know right and as we've grown now we have like a more of a 50 50 balance of original and traditional material you know but the instrumentation does bind us to the style and you know and like we feel a distinct responsibility like around the music to to represent it you know like in a intentional and pure way that respects it you know what i mean and also brings it to audiences that may not have already seen it like we had right. talked about and then at the same time you know what I mean does our teachers proud and at the same time we try to be original right. you know what I mean so those are all the dynamics that are going on I don't have all the answers especially on that whole topic but, but those are all of, the yeah those are all the dynamics going on with the crew and the, what I've kind of learned or observed over the years you know yeah yeah. well I appreciate you uh, explaining the the layers to the name and what it means mm -hmm. and what it meant to y'all and what it meant to others and you know people have asked me like what is that I'm like ah oh, it's something having to do with West African music but I yeah. was never really sure so yeah. thanks for breaking that down no doubt that's great and then the nod to New Orleans of course the right. K-R-E-W-E of course yeah which at the, you, time, at the time you, you guys weren't uh, based here you weren't based here but no. you were kind of appropriating a little bit of that sort of I remember line. at the time we talked about it as a not, sorry, at the time, 
I remember talking talking about it as like a nod, a real nod to New Orleans, like mm-hmm. literally because this is the place, you know. You knew it then. Absolutely. Right. In terms of what we were doing, in terms of the musical stew, like the desire to have all those things happen with a myriad of influences, classic rock and roll, Appalachian music, now this West African influence and instrumentation. Where else? All the stuff that was going on. Right. Where else could that you be allowed to, to, to flourish, you know what I mean? Right. In the way it's flourished here and become all these unique styles. But what was the influence? Africa, the Caribbean. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and, and and then blend, you know. So I do remember that distinctly at the time, like fucking thinking that was like that was like yeah, that had a call at the crew. Yeah. Right on, man. And so that band, uh, that version of Tubop Crew took shape and really had a ton of success and took you all over the world basically and definitely all over the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the the first lineup and then there was and, yeah, and of, world, yeah. Yeah, the world. And then there was sort of a period of relative inactivity where you mm-hmm. relocated here mm-hmm. and started doing stuff like uh, with Weedy Brahma and Raj mm-hmm. Casis and, mm-hmm. and we get into a little bit of that too but I wanted to kind of fast forward to the current Tuba crew um, just to kind of finish up because um, with the new record and mm-hmm. the performances of this era mm-hmm. uh, obviously it's very informed by your current drummer mm-hmm. Terrence Houston yeah. so um I was noticing the other night at Tips, and I might have mentioned this, about how the physicality of the mm-hmm. music mm-hmm. has been enhanced. It's mm-hmm. not a knock to the your uh, previous drummer. Um, yeah. Just saying that uh, Terrence, um, being from New Orleans, being like a really, you know, George Porter's right-hand man, mm-hmm. um, there's just a certain New Orleans swagger and, and sort of physicality that is almost juxtaposed to the delicate beauty of at least the Cora melodies and mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. but the synergy mm-hmm. of the two has really like sort of un- uncharted territory and like it's like a new portal even mm-hmm. for tuba mm-hmm. and yeah I just wanted to you know talk a little bit about how not so much who left and why but who's in now yeah in no Orleans, absolutely specifically yeah. Terrence because uh, we're in New Orleans and New Orleans drummers are you know it's what it's all about the best yeah so yeah. how'd that go down that actually went down on Jam Cruise. Word. Like 2012, I think. It was like Jam Room and, oh yeah, it was the night that Weedy and I sat in for this extended period for like the Lettuce Guys and I don't know whose Jam Room it was, but essentially it was like Lettuce and then Weedy and I and it was this whole percussion set up with bells and congas and shit and we just like started playing and like didn't stop oh i remember sam dickie was on that boat because we brought weedy the crew brought weedy and sam on that boat and we did like a seven piece um so it was this extended night of like this afro beat funk situation you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that went down i thought it was really cool it must be recorded somewhere i thought it was really fun and at some point dice got up and then all of a sudden t got on and we're playing and I looked back, and I looked at Weed, I was like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> because, like, this shit started coming out of the kick drum. And, like, the only fucking thing I could compare it to was, like, I don't know. Definitely some, like, West African, Ivorian, you know, you know, but also church at the same time. Oh, for sure. Lots of gospel in his playing. And, and so, you know. But it's like you heard that kick drum, and you're like, this dude already speaking my language. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And it was just fucking... Um, it was just a fucking cool moment. And then I think we met, you know, right then. And then uh, that was it. Maybe like a year later, not even, you know. I gave him a call because we needed a drummer at that point. And... Yeah, the rest is history. We've been playing since then, like late 2012. It's yeah. crazy how, you know, and we went to, yeah, China in like 2013, right after Jazz Fest together. And uh, it's been great. He's the man. Like, it, yeah, it's this incredible, like, yeah, it is a synergy. Like, there's this, uh, um, something's unlocked, you know, with the band in terms of uh, dynamically. Because I, I just feel like T has this range, this dynamic range that is like so intense you know, and it matches like the physicality of the djembe and like the djembe right. ensemble, really. You know what I mean? Because the djembe ensemble is that is 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 a very intense physical style of drumming from dun right. dun, bass drum, sangba, middle drum, kinkini, high drum, bells played individually or maybe as one person, all three upright instead of horizontal, and then you have djembe, you know, accompaniment and solo. And uh, yeah, if anyone's checked out Jimbe music, and you know, it's 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 very powerful. So it definitely, I think, really lends itself to like the style, you know, and um, the addition of Justin Kimmel on bass. Like, and we've been playing together since like the top of 2014 too. So now we're like five years deep playing with Kimmel, you know, and T the same lineup. And I, I think that all kind of came together on Stilo. Right. Really, like you know, yeah, that time in the studio, yeah. And um, great record, made my best of last year. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask me because I, I quoted you from a different interview somewhere about you know the recording process and the writing process was a little bit different, like yeah. post production wise. And yeah. Stuff. Just to talk a little yeah, bit about how just, you approached it. Um, so your third record or second? This is a third studio. Right. Third and studio. then we put out the uh, live, live record from right. the Orange Peel that New Year's two nights right. at New Year's. Yeah. Um, we. Went in the studio for like eight days in Atlanta. Our good friend Vic Stafford, uh, long time like bluegrass underground, down to the Buffalo drummer, um, etc. He played drums with us for a year after Teal, you know, uh, left the group to like start family and etc. Um, so Vic is a, an incredible engineer, um, and he had a, he was working out of a studio that him and some partners started back up called Southern Tracks, which legendary studio in Atlanta amazing room Springsteen and Petty all these people cut records there and like it closed down for a while when the owner had passed away Vic opened it up with some partners and we went in there for eight days uh Terrence Kimmel yeah Justin Drew and I man we just like had a bunch of tunes a bunch of grooves that we wanted to dig into and then like did a lot of arranging on the spot really you know too Mm-hmm. And just like, just kind of did a bunch of takes and like, um, didn't play exactly for like, we didn't play exactly for like to get a take. That was the interesting thing about it. And we were a little in between worlds too, you know, to be honest. Mm-hmm. We were somewhere in between playing to get a take and playing to get a good take so we could you know, kind of overdub and edit and shit like that. Because <clears throat> um, it's not like we had these out-of-the-world, out-of-this-world arrangements either. It's like we had some really good fucking, you know, pockets. We really had some moments, you know, like some things we really liked. So 
after the fact, oh, silver lining the whole thing, um, we cut the whole thing to a click. You know? So as you can imagine, Terrence destroyed it. You know what I mean? Yeah. All to a click. You know, murder was the case. <laughs> so then we had all these great fucking tracks, you know what I mean? Just Where, I, you know, yeah. And we, I mean, we were cutting as a band, but we also, you know, had like the freedom to add what we wanted, take it out what we wanted. In a way, I say silver lining because in a way, since we were a little in between worlds, some of the stuff fell a little flat. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. we weren't totally in there playing free, Owen Brothers, or not Owen Brothers style. I was going to say just playing free, just like trying to go out completely, you know, which is Drew, you know, which I think that's where I think Drew, you know, really shines, shines you know what I mean? Right. So then we were, um, and this is real candid, but fuck it, you know what I mean? It, it's a cool, you know, way that the record came together, actually, and a great learning experience. Because then at, at the end of the day, Drew and, and uh, Justin Kimmel and I produced it. You know, and we did, you know, we just, then we had a really ton of freedom to edit and overdub and we got some amazing moments from Drew after the fact, you know what I mean? Just to have the three of us chilling, producing, editing, you know what I'm saying? So it was a very cool thing, I think. And uh, ultimately, like, yeah, spent a lot of time on kind of getting it to like a point where like all the tunes felt really good. A lot of the things we didn't even think we were going to get in there got in there, you know? So it ended up being like a, a totally dual process. Oh, and by the way. This is like with two and a half years in between. Right. Like had all the tracks in the can. End of 2014, the session at the end of this run where we were touring our asses off, you know, for 10 years, pretty much. Never took, you know, never were off the road for more than three weeks. Tops a month in that whole time period, you know, from like 05 to 14. Right. You know, most of the time it was two months out, two weeks home for all those years. So... I think that's why we didn't get more studio time, you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe it would have been nice, you know, to get more studio time. Um, but uh, it was cool to actually have 2014, and we started mixing it in, like, 2017. So pretty crazy, you know. Long, long process. Well, not even. Just, like, the session, and then... Oh, uh, years later. Really dug into it. Right. Just sort of sat. And, and it was, like, total, it was total fresh years. Which was really cool, man, because it was we had total fresh years. We had taken a couple years. We were just doing some one-offs. We weren't, um, you know, touring, and everyone was doing different stuff. And we had this really nice experience editing and mixing it and getting it out. So, well, it sounds great, and it's a nice record that, like the quickening, was a, a hit at the trim scene in NorCal. Oh, sick! You know, I think I told you that back way back when. But yeah, it was something that. Uh, you know, there's a very global crew yeah. getting out that way. Oh, yeah, people definitely. from all over the world coming to work on the farm and yeah. trimming the weed. And, yeah. you know, you're just hanging out all day together. And yeah. usually no Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, you know, you had a physical copy. Yeah. And there you have it. I mean, it was like a favorite nice. at the trim scene. And yeah. that's why it got so ingrained in my head that yeah. I wanted to put in my best of. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's like replay value. You cool. Know, hours and hours and hours. And that's a real mark of like instrumental music mm -hmm. it's like replay value can mm -hmm. you come back to it over mm -hmm. because you don't have the memorable choruses and sort of the poetry the lyrics you know it's all emotional attachment and exactly and, yeah and being entertained yeah. you know and, and moved and I I love Stilo man I it's like one of our favorites my partner Alicia loves it awesome man. and uh, That's what's I like. think it was cool to see uh, the turnout you got when you finally visited the West Coast again after a few years gone. Yeah. You know, you guys crushed it. I was I was lucky to catch a San Fran show. I know you went yeah. all the way up to Seattle. Yeah. 
and that uh, that kind of is the tail end of the Stilo tour, I would imagine, right? Are you going yeah. back out on the road again anytime soon? Um, yeah, I mean, um, really, actually, I guess so. Yeah, because we're planning the f- the uh, fall. You know, we have some festivals and stuff. Right. You know, we have two Canadian festivals: one in BC, one in Winnipeg. Festival hits. I'm saying you're, yeah. not, you're not packing up the van and going up doing no. another run anytime. No, soon. no, just in the in the in the spring we're gonna do. Um, uh, my bad. In the fall we're gonna do. Um, Florida. We're gonna do the West Coast. Actually, we're gonna get right back to the West Coast, bro. Okay. Now that I think about it, yeah, yeah, we plan like a five night L- San Diego to Nevada City run. Sweet. Um, Nevada City I'm gonna have to hit that yeah. stomping grounds yeah cause Nevada City was so cool on the Sunday night it was like yeah. sold out and everyone loved it we are like why not just put it on the Sunday you know then we can go Wednesday through uh, you know the Bay obviously on the Saturday yeah so that, that's gonna happen in the fall man so we just wanted to get right back out cause you know it was, it was like 2014 really it was like five years since we did a proper tour so we just gotta like show the West Coast some love I think and get right back well We'll appreciate that if you do get back out. Definitely. Just keep us posted. I'll make sure to bang the drum a little bit, let people know you're coming back. Yeah, as always, you the man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. Well, I feel the same about you. Oh, man. I want to kind of just, you know, love Tubab, wanted to do a big chunk of Tubab, but there's so much more to your career these days, and I just wanted to kind of take a moment just to talk about one other thing that you do. Sure, yeah. and that's uh, the work you do with Weedy Bremen, the hands of time and the essence of time last year. And just in general, you know, he's been a close collaborator of yours. You both live here in New Orleans. You're both, um, you know, part of this uh, drum fraternity mm-hmm. that uh, extends from, uh, you know, sort of the African music and that world and mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. into the Jazz Fest jam cruise culture right down to the nth power tonight with Weedy coming back so like Weedy's a force of nature like you're around him and you just feel like energy love sort of like wisdom Mm -hmm. and he's such a uh, joy to just be around and obviously to see and hear perform and you've done a lot of different stuff with him uh, through the years I know you have your own side projects and stuff that you do sometimes that don't involve him um, we could talk about those too, but I want to talk about the Hands of Time first because mm-hmm. you had the big gig the other night. Last year's Essence of Time show was like one of my favorite shows I ever saw anywhere, mm-hmm. ever. Um, and he was a guest on the podcast early on before I really had it going. Oh, cool. You know, and uh, and basically, I don't know, it's it's hard for me to, uh, to talk about that kind of music because I don't have the vocabulary for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not... It's not like Two Bob Crew, which crosses over and has like uh, the rock and roll bass, drums, guitar elements and stuff. So, you know, I don't even know what to ask other than like, yeah, talk about that project and him. Yeah, Weedy. no, I mean, Weedy's incredible, man. Um, like, amazing person, um, incredible player. Like, his history, his family history, his family tree is like amazing, man. Just like his dad. Um, and amazing composer, um, Accra, Ghana, <clears throat> um, based, you know, Fela era composer and ranger. And, and then his mom, jazz drummer from East St. Louis, wow. whose family is all from here. You know, I don't know if you guys got into all that, all that. I'm sure you, you talked about his family a bit, but yeah, his, his Morris, his mom's family too, is all New Orleans folks. So it is it's deep that he moved here, you know, 
in recent years. He wrote a song, actually, Send For Me, that uh, we performed the other night, and it's one of my favorites. Um, but it was for his mom, and like, because they, um, he told her that he was going to move to New Orleans, and then, um, you know, she told him, Send For Me, and and then she passed not long after. Yeah. That. Yeah. Heard him um, and he told the story the other night. He tells the story in the show. And um, it's powerful, man. Like, him and his mom were best friends. And I, I did spend some time with her. Like, we had a backyard jam one night when the crew was in town. We, like, pulled up the bus at his crib and we made a fire in the backyard and hung with his mom and played. And, like, it was awesome. So he's just a special cat. I mean, I met him in, like, 2000 and. Oh. It's been like 13 years. I met him in like 06 at Leaf. We were playing Leaf Festival in Asheville. And all of a sudden, this dude just walks up and stands right in front of me. In front of the stage. <laughs> we playing and we playing Jarby. Classic love song. Traditional number. You know. And he's just staring at me. Classic weedy form, dude. And I'm like, okay, this he knows something. <laughs> right. He knows something. So, man, we played a whole show. I think he actually came up on stage. Also classic Weedy. But, you know, man, and then we've been hanging ever since, dude. Went through in St. Louis, played with him when we were there. And, uh, man, we just always stayed in touch. You know, came really good friends. We'd always hang, like, wherever we could. Um and 2012, like we, the crew, we brought him and uh, our friend Sam Dickey um, out on the road and uh, did like a bunch of festivals together, jam crews, gathering of the vibes, a bunch of other fests. And uh, long story short, man, uh, great friends um, with Weedy, but um, more recently, everyone knows about like. Um, you know, all the playing he's been doing lately with Christian, you know, right. and uh, with Trombo Shorty. Christian and Scott. Christian Scott, sorry, trumpeter from New Orleans, uh, nephew of Donald Harrison Jr., Big Chief. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's family. I, I, that I, I might have that wrong. We have to source it, but family, you know, definitely pretty sure. Um, and I know that, I mean, I think it's nephew, yeah, right. related. And, uh, so he, so yeah, Christian has that whole tradition, man. The whole masking, he's like he's a, gonna. I think he, he was. I think he might be big chief this year or next, something like that. Wow. I just read. So yeah, he comes he's from that brilliant. whole Mardi Gras tradition. So it's just it is deep. The Weedy Moose lives here now because the whole that whole side of his family is from here. Right. So I have all that tradition, man, and like, um, he, you know, has been doing all his playing O'Teal, you know, right. doing all O'Teal and Friends hits, you know, but it's cool to see him you know, um, really wanted to get his music out in the world, you know, right. and that's what he wants to do at Hands of Time, you know, and uh, it's it's a cool group, man, it's it's uh, traditional drum-based, meaning I'm essentially the Dundun player, D-U-N-U-N, Dundun is like the bass drum, as I mentioned earlier, of the Dundun Ensemble, I mean Djembe Ensemble, and I play Kinkini, the high drum, and bongos, cymbals, a pandero, um, and the bells, Munir has what Weedy's calling the Sangba set, because the Sangba is the middle tone drum. So he's got a Sangba and bell, traditional style. He's got another Sangba and Kinkini, upright, kick drum, hi hat, cymbals, 
a crin, which is like a log shaped wood uh, wood drum that that uh, is also from kind of coastal Guinea and some other places it's played. Um, and what else has he got? It sounds a lot like Biko's current setup. Yeah, so Biko it's like a hybrid. Some new shit. No, it's okay. He's got a hi hat and yeah. he's like seated like yeah. a drum trap drum. Yeah. But he's got the traditional drums spread around. Him. Sure. It's not like a drum kit. Yeah, yeah. So this is like between Munir and I, we essentially they cover the drum set. Right. You know, seat, but it's broken between these traditional drums with additional more Western instrumentation. You know. Right. Then you've got bass, which uh, Sheck and Doy did the ten night run that we did that ended. Uh, in December that ended at Harlem stage. It was actually a Christian Scott series. Christian had We Did Break My Hands of Time featuring Pedrito Martinez and Christian. I remember seeing the ad for that. So, really fun night uh, in Harlem, you know, at wow. the, um, yeah, Harlem stage is this amazing yeah. uh, venue in, in uh, like 135th and Convent, it's called, or like it's basically right by Broadway Amsterdam. Um, and we're at base. Shekendoy is Baba Mall's MD. Um, really? Yeah. So, Sheck did the run. Amazing. He plays bass and goni, which is, I mentioned the jelly and goni, the third instrument of the griot instruments, mm-hmm. the jelly instruments. He basically created the modified bass and goni, which is a, a real, like, Western, like a bass neck on, like, a gourd style, cowskin wrapped, covered, uh, fretlet, you know, um, four string. Bass and goni, bigger body, low bass tone type of goni. The jelly and goni is either four or seven strings higher pitched, dowel neck fretless. Okay, wow. So it's he created it. It's like his unique instrument. No one else has it, and he plays regular bass. Um, Raja Cassis, right on guitar. Sam Dickey on jelly and goni, which I mentioned. Right. Um, the traditional fretless, um, kind of canoe shaped body. Dowel neck of um, Jelly and Goni, and then he also plays guitar. And then uh, Chez Pierre, keys, uh, keys player from here, really incredible. Um, keys player has been playing with so many people, you know. Um, when you say keys, what is he playing? Um, organ? Yeah, he's playing organ and. Rhodes? No, he's not playing Rhodes. Oh, what is it? Man, that's a really good question. He's... But don't get too hung up on it. Yeah. I was just curious. He's kind of got like a big rig with a bunch of pads and different sounds he can go to. I think is that that's what he took on the road. But he also, you know, plays like a kind of... Um, sometimes I think like a Moog, mini Moog type thing. Plus, yeah. Okay. He's doing a lot of synth stuff. Right on. Um, and then Weedy's out. Sorry, the Shay. Oh, I'm going to have to uh, cross-reference that with you and then... Right. I'll get back to you. Let's go. <laughs> but that's we'll that's the general notes. setup. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, and then you got Weedy playing Jimbe. Right. So that's the seven piece. Uh, Max Moran did the the, the, <coughs> the show this past weekend and um, has done Weedy's birthday parties in the past, so he's kind of okay. familiar with a lot. Well, now the repertoire as well. So you know, obviously, as Bob Mall's MD, Sheck's really busy, and he he also does a lot on his own. Um, so. You know, Max um, has been on some stuff, and I'm, I'm assuming we'll be on some stuff. You know, right yeah, and he's great, man. So yeah, it sounds like this band has legs, and uh, yeah, it's really. I, f- I feel it. like it's it's really the fun. You know, like 
his, he really has a sound he's going for in his head. And the, the send for me, this tune, Hands of Time, Hot, Originals. And then there's that, you know, there's traditional material in there. There's a tune we do uh, called Elephant Steps, which is like a, a riff off of uh, Giant Steps. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it, it's a really diverse set, man. It's like um, with the instrumentation, obviously, there's the ability to go s- s- hyper traditional, you know, with the Jelly and Goni. Right. There's some stuff we do, Sakadugu, a really, really amazing traditional number. Um, uh, another Afrobeat tune he wrote called Hover Round is in there, like at the top of the show. So it's cool, man. I'm just like, I'm excited to be playing his music and. All the stuff he's been writing is is really killing, man. So I'm just looking forward to... You know, we've debuted the project a number of times. We did Ground Up, you know, a little more of a traditional instrumentation. Maget Fall, who's Angelique Joe's percussionist, was on that. My longtime teacher, Automobilero Dembele, came from L.A., but he's based in uh, France. He's Ivorian and actually from Burkina Faso. Virtuoso, balafone player, djembe player. Um, I hadn't seen him in 17 years since I spent like I spent like six weeks with him in, on that 01 trip, and then we hit together and ground up. Wow, that's perfect. <laughs> it was amazing, I mean, dude. Yeah, I mean, I was like, this is my teacher. I haven't seen him in all these years, and now we're playing together. Right on. Another full circle type of full circle, you know, moment um, that happened through yeah, hands of time, and then we did uh, we did the Blue Note with Pedrito and supposed to be Christian, but. Christian got stuck in LA. It was like a mm. snowstorm. He was going to France the next day. And uh, Mo Better, dude, Mo came Better. straight in and made it Mo Better. Yeah. Straight killed it. Shout out Maurice <laughs> Brown, friend of the show. I'm and, uh, working on a feature about you, Maurice, yeah. coming up. So that was dope. Elena Pender used uh, flute, came that night too, because Christian couldn't be there. He asked her to be there. She was, yeah, mm. magical. Um, and uh, and that was with Yakabasi Soko, core player, Abdullah Diabate, singer, both um, um, Jelly in their own right. Um, you know, Yakuba, I mean, uh, um, uh, well, not, not sorry, not, um, but uh, Abdullah, Jelly singer from New York, from Mali as well. Um, and uh, very cool, Night of the Blue Note. So yeah, we've done it, you know, a few times. We did Celebrate Brooklyn. Right. You know, that was also kind of like a similar lineup to the Blue Note show. Um, so it's cool, man. It, 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 there's all this traditional music, you know. There's all this history, you know. So all this yeah. canon of music, you know what I mean, that can be played, you know. But uh, there's, there's nice parallels there, too, with, with the crew and Hands of Time. You don't sound anything alike, but it's a marriage of yeah, traditional. Yeah, I mean. And then writing original stuff that's yeah. your own. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, clearly, I mean, Weedy's a damn near scholar in the style. Yeah. I mean, yeah, anyone who's been around him, I mean, you could ask him. I mean, there's so much history there. You know, the uh, the drum and dance scene, West Africans living in the States, African Americans, <clears throat> you know, you know, moving the style forward and like, you know, um, you know, there's, yeah, just like, you know, also have this whole parallel, you know, tradition here, Baba Chuck, <clears throat> you know, um, Baba Tunde, that whole, you know what I mean? Um, there's so <laughs> so much there, you know, and then it's, it's um, Weedy comes from that tradition. I come from that, you know, tradition and culture, you know, between all the studies in West Africa and in New York, mm-hmm. and then now playing Weedy, et cetera. So 
it's a lot of richness, man. And you know, <clears throat> it, I feel like also something, and there is something different to it in terms of um, it's just unique kind of expression in the in the scene. You know, you know, there's a yeah. lot of West African artists, which is man, it's really cool since the crew started. You know, since like now I've been paying attention to more of like the touring scene. It's like all the all the you know West Ar- West African artists who kind of made their way into the you know the scene in the states you know <clears throat> um, and all the kind of uh, cross pollination you know that's still ha- that's happening you know that's actually some man at the end of the day too like the always the question you front like you know for years when we first started it was like well how did five guys white guys from North Carolina you know right. get into this stuff I mean I've asked myself that yeah of I course asked you that in yeah. this interview well yeah that's true <laughs> naturally um, <clears throat> but really it, it's it's more about the back and forth man it's more about a bigger picture it's more about like what were the cats over there listening to from the states right and what were the cats in the states listening to from over there and how it influenced their style you know what I mean and like we're not trying to do something West African. We're trying to like find what's in there. When right. like when like we have all these musics we love, like I said, Appalachian. You know, Drew and Justin come from the whole mountain music tradition. You know, to the point of banjos and fiddles and you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That whole thing. You know, um, we used to play Merle Fest back in the day, like almost every year. Like for a while, it was a drum and dance ensemble, and then the crew played it. I fell in love with that music, man. Like f- fell in love with it, like. All that stuff, dude. Like seeing all those pickers, man. Like yeah. I don't know, dude. Like I never, as a New Yorker, I, you know, I grew up on golden era hip hop, right. NY. You know, what I'm saying sure. ninety to you know or whatever, eighty seven to ninety five, yes, whatever. That whole world thing. to you, that Oh yeah, totally. So I'm just more. I don't know. You know, um, there's also the very cool back and forth that is always, you know. That the conversation, know, kind yeah, of. the the Fela stuff and the JB yeah. stuff, and the, you know, the, the you know, there's just so much. Um, I think you know, I've gotten actually through you know, <clears throat> I've finally gotten into more of all the Afro funk recordings, right. you know, all that, all that Afro funk uh, stuff from, you know, seventies and eighties, all the Nigerian stuff, all the, um, <clears throat> you know other stuff that's like so funky man right. that's a that's, <laughs> that's a, like that's the inspiration for uh about another time yeah, yeah that, well no yeah. it's not that i want to talk about but i really want to get into uh that like sort of nigerian funk and like the wahala boys and, yeah because you got these other uh, pirates choice you got these other projects that are kind of back right now because you're focused on weedy and focused on the crew yeah um but that'll give us something to pick up part two yeah absolutely talk, i wasn't trying to cut you off i was just thinking I want to save that Nigerian funk and the and the foo foo all stars yeah, and yeah, the Wahala boys yeah. when you got when you know when it's more in the front of your plate. Totally. But cool. for those who are curious at home, yeah, Luke's got some cool projects. Yeah. The Wahala boys. Well, they're they're not my projects, but you're involved. I'm involved. Yeah. Right. Wahala um, boys, foo foo all stars, Pirates Choice is yours, right? Um. Yeah. Well, Pirates Choice, Sam and Raja and I started okay. when so. we moved to town to like play. You know, some of each other's music, Raja stuff, gotcha. Sam's and. Um, started playing with Eric Vogel and Max and Alfred Jordan, you know. So that was a cool, you know, we definitely uh, had that cooking for a while and it was really cool to play with those guys. They're all great players, man. And oh, yeah. then, um, yeah, Sam started Fufu All-Stars, which is Ghanaian-style brass band, like gospel and funk and, you know, high life. 
and then uh which is a whole like full brass band tuba you know section drums percussion and guitar and then uh well, raja start yeah well Hala, that that's, that's Fufu all stars Greece, right was uh, Greece um for um fufu um alfred you okay. know and uh this whole uh, the, the whole section Terrence, uh, higgins, higgins has been doing the wahala, uh, the wahala boys hits yeah. yeah it's been higgins and ron johnson lately vogel was doing them oh, that's for a while and uh yeah man playing with higgins is awesome dude that's he really fun man and <clears throat> that's more that's like on the whole deep cut 70s west african yeah. funk stuff um that raja got that project going and doing some of his originals too and some you know out you know out cuts that like yeah. we wanted to you know there's been loving and wanted to play so yeah those have been real fun to do here in new orleans man because just add it to the kind of mix of you know all the stuff that's going on and you know right. it feels right at home that's it that's exactly what i'm talking about is, is the variety and the originality and there's really no substitute for new orleans in that regard Not so that. tonight we're lucky we get to see a beloved band come together original lineup with weedy who we spoke of and the nth power original band reunion on the uh, last hurrah oh, Monday at the Blue Nile so we're going to wrap up the interview uh, next year when I come back uh, we could maybe pick up a little bit about Wild Boys Pirate's Choice maybe update the folks on where Weedy's project is sure. who knows you'll have some stuff with the crew hopefully some um, recording material yeah, yeah. I yeah. know that the whole steel of things inspired us to like get back in there you know and um, right. keep going with this with this crew you know Terrence Kimmel and the guys and so yeah man that's a, pro- that's a high priority Right on. Well, yeah, we'll, we're definitely going to get this out in, uh, into the airwaves in the next couple of weeks. And then, uh, obviously, hopefully I'll see you before next Jazz Fest. But uh, I, it'll give us something to look forward to next year. I like think uh, that'll a be the case, two. God willing. Part two. B, that'd you know? be nice. Absolutely, yeah, man, let's do it again. Yeah, we didn't think we were going to go an hour. We did not. Yeah, we did, and we didn't even touch everything. So yeah, I'd be happy to you know. I'm glad to give you your own feature episode, man. Appreciate you, bro. A good friend of mine. Yeah, I absolutely. Have a lot man. Of admiration for musically, no and you're the homie. Oh, bro, you the ultimate homie, man. You guys, you're always like shouting out everyone out and like spreading love and spreading awareness and knowledge about what's happening musically, like across the board. So I think everyone out there appreciates it. To be honest, man. Right. It's on. like yeah, so much talent going on in the scene. It's super inspiring coming off this jazz fest. It's like yeah, man, ride that momentum. <laughs> So much music, man. Everyone was out there killing it, so. Yeah, man. Stoked to be a part of it. Yeah, man, me too. Just stoked to, to have the opportunity to witness it and document it and then, you know, have relationships like this. We're going to go out and share this experience tonight. So, yeah, man, that's what it's all about. This is uh, B. Getz signing off for the Up for Life podcast with Luke Caranta from New Orleans, Louisiana, Jazz Fest 50, and we'll see you next time.
Yes, indeedy. I want to say thank you to my man Luke Caranta from Two Bob Crew. Thank you for that interview and that insightful chat. We're going to pivot on over to the quickening for a short interview, about 22 minutes, with Blake Quick and Rachel Murray of New Orleans band The Quickening. Played them on the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week a couple shows back. And now we're going to have a good uh, little chat with the two of them. Uh, Blake plays guitar and sings, and Rachel is a vocalist as well. And uh, they have an album called Begin Again, which I'm a big fan of. Made my uh, best of 2018. And got a chance to check them out at the Cosmic Crawfish Ball. And encourage you to, to look into the quickening. And they just went on a brief tour, which they talk about uh, in the interview. I wouldn't call it a tour, it's just a brief run, but uh, that was in the pipeline at the time and now it just took place, so we'll check in and see where you can see the quickening outside of New Orleans in the coming weeks and months. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this quick chat with Blake Quick, Rachel Murray from The Quickening. This is the Up For Life Podcast, and I'm your host, B. Gats. This is our sixth year being a whole band. Okay. Uh, we've probably had the same lineup for the past four years though that we've been working with and are real enthusiastic about making music with us and making it happen. So. Right on. Putting right. forth everybody's effort into one collective group thing rather than me trying to find other members to fill, you know, whatever, drum spot, bass spot, if we're going to have horns or whatever. But yeah, now we have a solidified group of uh, Dave Easley on pedal steel guitar, uh, Jeff Janai on drums, Al Small on bass, Rachel Murray on electric vocals, and myself, Blake Quick, on vocals and guitar. Right on, right on. So you've had this lineup solidified for a while, and you guys uh, put out a, a record last year. Debut yep. record, right? What was the name of the record? Uh, Begin Again. It's actually our second record, but the first one didn't have most of the members of the band that we play with currently, so that's why we called it Begin Again, because... Okay. Yep. Right on. Yeah, and obviously I was a big fan of that record. I put it in my best out for the year, and I was really stoked when you sent it to me in the mail. Yes, and, indeed. Uh, it was interesting because it was a CD, and uh, they like lay around, and they found its way into like where we were working on this farm in, in Northern California, and there was no Wi-Fi, so you can really only listen to 
the only thing you had was the classic. So that was the regular, you know, two Bob Cruz, Stilo, awesome. the quickening. That's those awesome. Were, those were daily listens while we snipped away. So. Yes, indeed. So yeah, you've got some fans in NorCal, you just don't know it yet. Right. Okay, all right. Well, I wanted to ask, because um, one of the things when Randy and I came and see you guys a couple of years ago, he was immediately Dave Easley. It was like, oh my God. And it's just kind of like slightly out of place. He's a bit older than you guys, right? And pedal steel isn't something that... Uh, every band seeks out. So how did you guys fold in uh, the pedal seal? Because I feel, feel like it really informs the quickening sound. How did Dave come into playing with us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's definitely, we call him our secret weapon. You know, he's definitely uh, a star highlight. We call him Grateful Dave just because <laughs> he's the most humble man. And, you know, he yeah. resembles Jerry a lot when he plays. So that's really, really yeah, a great addition to have. Uh, so I've been a fan of Dave since I was in college going to see music down here and uh, going to like you know open mic jazz nights and stuff and he just blew me away every single time and uh, I never I, you know I would meet him but he's kind of a, a shy guy so you, you wouldn't really be able to get too close with him and everything but uh, one of the first bass players we had play with the quickening played in a different band with Dave and he suggested that we get him on a gig and he's like yeah he'll come play wherever you know he said that Dave has never heard of us never practiced with us or anything and we're playing a gig in Jackson, Mississippi. And he's like, sure, I'll tag along. Yeah, I'll meet you up there. <laughs> Comes out there, and he's just watching me play guitar. And, you know, whenever he got a chance to solo, I turn my head and give him a little nod, and he would just wail away at the, at the pedal steel. And he makes it sound like liquid's coming out of the thing. It's, it's yeah. so sweet. And to hear it going along with my music that I was writing was just a dream come true, basically. And he really dug it. He had a lot of fun, he said. so. He said, call me whenever, if I'm available, I'll definitely make the quickening gig, so. Right on. And uh, last year, we went to Charleston, and he turned 60 on the road with us, so. That's hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like and he's twice as old as the rest of the And he's out there on the road with us, and he's staying so up till three. He's so much fun on the road. He yeah. just, like, watches us be completely <laughs> insane, and was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know it's a good, a good joke and a good time when you hear Dave cracking up laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Do you find yourself writing material now, incorporating the pedal steel as opposed to just like uh, a nod for a solo, but uh, really like gearing portions of the song or, I mean, I just really like the way you guys incorporate the pedal steel. It's a little different than when you see like a Robert Randolph or a Roosevelt yeah. Collier play. Sure. It's more of like a part of the ensemble. Yeah. Um, you write for that, or is that just how it works? Out? That's just how it happens, usually, usually organically. Yeah, and, it's all uh, falling into place like that, just playing over and over and over again. Those things just like solidify on their own. Those parts. Yeah, yeah, and with specifically to your role as a vocalist, um, I really feel like there's this like dreamy factor to the music um, with Dave's pedal steel and your vocals and stuff. Do you find? Uh, I don't know, like a kind of a synergy with his melodies or whatever, because um, when I think of your sound, I, think, I often think of his playing and your voice. Yeah, there's actually a few times we've been playing live where I wasn't able to tell if it was my vocals in the monitor or if it was his right. playing. <laughs> I feel like he definitely emulates my vocals a lot. Um, and, you know, back and forth, I think that synergy is a good way to put it. Um, Dave has a special way of tapping into that kind of stuff. He does, yeah. Sure. He's gotten to know everybody's sound and, and sort of just comes right back with it or just like accompanies it like perfectly. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what comes over time, like playing gigs and playing with so many different 
instrumentalist and just sort of understanding and knowing your role. Right, I thought right. that was really awesome. But I've known you, Rachel, for a long time and seen you sing in a variety of combinations. And you were active in uh, North Florida when I lived there. Mm -hmm. And then you moved here to New Orleans. How many years ago now? Uh, I moved here seven years ago. Okay. And then you've been rocking with the, quick, the Quickenings for four. <laughs> no, I was, um, we started the Quickening in 2012, right? At the end, very end, the end of 2012. 2012 yeah. And I was, a, I was a founding member. Oh, right on. Yeah. I was unaware. So that was sh shortly after you arrived here? Uh, yeah, you found this project? just about seven months later. Right on. Yeah. And there's not a ton of, of the young bands out there that are doing something like new but still kind of a part of the heartbeat of New Orleans. I feel like you guys, The Grid, um, you know, there's, there's a few other ones, uh, Dark, Dark Matter, Chris Royals Band. And, and I wanted to ask, uh, do you feel like you guys are a part of sort of like a new generation here in New Orleans of young bands that are like saying, you know what, we're not going to do the heritage stuff or what everyone else sure. is doing, but, but we're rooted in that, and that's our DNA, but we're going to take it somewhere else. So do you feel like uh, a collective of bands like really taking it there? Yeah, I like to think so. I like to think that we're part of that uh, whole happening. And, uh, you know, I, I try to, when someone asks us what we what our music is or what we sound like, it's it's hard to kind of pinpoint. I, I kind of say, you know, we're, we're just feel-good music. And that's, right. you know, party, a derivative from, from it's yeah. A, it's a groovy party. <laughs> yeah, groovy party music. And that's a derivative of what the meters are trying to let everybody know. Feel-good music in your soul, you know, it's good for your body. <laughs> Right, right. Yes, indeed. Good for you, so. Yeah, so on that note, um, you know, we're down here at Jazz Fest, and it's like a free-for-all, and there's a ton of gigs, and uh, it's not always fair, and it's not always how it should be, but it is what it is. Um, maybe talk a little bit about the struggles, not so much with Jazz Fest, but like as a young band who doesn't have like a national footprint yet, or a song on a movie, or whatever <laughs> gets young people these days. But yet you guys are out of work and we're going to talk about this run you're going on Charleston and you take the show on the road, at least regionally. Sure. Um, Southeast region usually is what we try to stick to, yeah. Okay. Um, what are some of the hurdles that you guys run into as a young band making original music, not doing the tribute thing, not doing the... I mean, you'll do a cover here and there, but right. you're an original band. Right, right. right. Uh, hurdles that I have particularly are just uh, booking gigs. I'm the, I'm the person who does the most of the booking and stuff and... Um, you know, connecting those dots between the cities that do like us coming there and we, we have a following there and then the cities in between that, you know, smaller college towns, it's hard for me to get in touch with, you know, people through email and stuff like that. But that's kind of just one of the more frustrating for me personally. But Right, the booking um, side. Yeah. How about you? <laughs> Have you run into anything uh, in your young career with the quickening or otherwise that you know, might be like demoralizing or difficult to overcome or maybe something that you derive strength and motivation from because it's difficult? Yeah, there's there's a few things. Um, but I guess just as a vocalist showing up um, to gigs, there's usually just like a really strange energy with the sound engineer. Right. <laughs> it's like, I guess it's a, it's an old tale, but um, just getting the sound right with the, that many instrumentalists is really hard. And like just being able to hear myself a lot of times um, is a struggle with 
with like such a powerhouse band. You That's know? been going on since Donna Jean. Exactly, <laughs> you know it, and she, yeah, everybody knows it. But it's it's still a struggle, and it's very sure. frustrating because you show up and you put your best foot forward, and you're like, am I being heard? Am I hurting myself trying to be heard? And then you don't feel like that sound engineer is like on your side either because you're a diva or whatever they want to put on you. Right. It's just, that's probably one of my biggest struggles. Do you find that being a woman is, is a part of that as Big well? Big time, oh yeah. I've asked a few of my female guests on the show to kind of talk a little bit about whether <coughs> they want to talk about something that pissed them off or are we doing better as a, as a culture and as a music community, are our shared music community or on the whole, um, I'm just curious to hear how women who are like in the middle of the arts are feeling like right now. I, I do think that it is changing. Everybody's attention is turned towards it and like female empowerment is, is on the rise and it's like a focal point of just about any industry. Um, and I do think that females in music are, are having that renaissance as well. Um, but yeah, there's just some deeply rooted things, especially when you like work with someone who's been in the industry longer than you've been alive. Right. And they're just really not, it's not easy for them to give you a chance a lot yeah. of times I find. So I just kind of find ways to, to brush it off and rise up. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you let the music do the talking. Yeah. And, and you know, it does because the response from people is just getting more and more enthusiastic and, and involved and now you guys are going to go back out on the road for a few dates so what do you have planned uh let's let's see right after this we're playing the free wednesdays in the square thing mm -hmm. that happens in lafayette square here in new orleans every wednesday during the spring and fall uh, that's may 15th and then after that we're hitting the road immediately going up to charleston and folly beach area uh, coming back down south to Jacksonville and then playing a few dates in Mobile and uh, I think Jackson, Mississippi. So, right on. That back on that like southeast run. Loop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you can kind of get out of New Orleans a little bit when it starts to get oppressively hot. Yeah, exactly. How do you guys deal with that? Just, just living here, gigging here. Lots of cold showers. <laughs> right two on. days, two day showers. <laughs> find out what you're really made of when, when yeah, you're exactly. in the summertime. It's also a solidarity. You're just like constantly like exchanging sweat with people. <laughs> just all kind of wearing each other. Right on. I Everybody's shining. Yeah. Sweat Gl sisters. Glistening. Glistening. <laughs> right on. Right on. What? You had mentioned you wanted to like break into some new markets and uh, and like whether it's college towns or just places you haven't really touched yet. So I don't have a huge listenership. But I do have listeners that are spread about pretty far and wide. Excellent. And uh, that was one of the intentions I said. When, other than friendly with you guys, I've got a lot of affinity for Rachel going back a long time. So sure. I wanted to like do you a solid. But I wouldn't if I didn't believe in the tunes. Excellent. You know? And I've seen you guys grow. And it's not every day that I have like a ringside seat to a band on the come up. You know, <laughs> I'm lucky to be close to some bands that are already up. Same. But to see it happening, you know, the slow burn and just you know, coming down here every year and just kind of seeing you guys grow a little at a time, but enough to say like, this is going somewhere. Cool. But I hope people listen to this show and are curious enough to check you guys out. I'm gonna play a song on the episode. Yeah, certainly. And uh, what, what's next? Uh, you guys gonna get back in the studio? You writing? Um, what's the next chapter for? Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the focus point, keep coming creating. up with some new songs and you know, keeping the, keeping the set list fresh and uh, 
I think we might try to put out another live out or a live album before we create another album just to give people the experience of more what, what our live do. shows right. are like and studio stuff is really great too I'm really impressed mm-hmm. with the way uh, our drummer Jeff Janai really he's helped awesome. produce and, oh, man. He's... and put together uh, the Begin Again album right. you know six years ago when I started the band this is, that's exactly what I wanted it to sound like and we captured it, and I think it's really it's got great. got that but, sonic intelligence. But yeah, when we have a night at the Maple Leaf or something like that, there's a whole other energy that, that comes out, and you know, yeah, the, the crowd involved, obviously. And Cool. Yeah, man. I, I would like to catch a show at the Leaf where you guys play, because there's a certain energy in that room that really you don't find anywhere else on Earth. Right, that's definitely our home base. Uh, yeah, I think we play our best shows in there. Right, I'm going to have to try to make it to one. Jazz fest or otherwise, because I want to see you guys in your element. And uh, you know, New Orleans is a really musical town, and I wanted to spend most of the time talking about the band that you both are in. But I know you guys are active musicians down here. Um, anything you want to share? Like Rachel, I went and saw you perform the other night. You were talking about, you know, we were talking about being a woman in the industry. It was really, you know, inspiring to see you, you know, commanding a band and a room, and. Uh, and having all, all of those guys play their hearts out for you. And, and I thought that that was really awesome to see. So maybe tell the people a little bit about what that night's about or anything else you got going on. Yeah, that's, um, <clears throat> I call it my like guilty pleasure gig. Okay. <laughs> it was like an R&B night. And that was the, Jeff on drums too. That right? was Jeff on drums too. Um, it's, um, it's called Moonstruck Mondays. They have it at the Pontchartrain Hotel at the Hot Tin. That, that rooftop Which bar is the ro- it's like yeah. one of the best views of the city. It's such a sexy room, um, and I've been lucky enough to to have that gig a few times. And actually, after the other night when I saw you, they asked me to do a monthly gig there, so it's gonna be more regular. Sweet. Yeah, so it's been going really well, um, and just just trying out different people, just seeing all the talent in town. I think it's important in this town to just like experience each other. And what you have to give, right? Um, sky's well the limit said. with with the amount of talent in this town. Yeah, for sure. And what about you, man? You got anything going on outside of the quickening you want to share? Uh, we have a really fun gig. That's it's basically the quickening, uh, but we do all '90s renditions. You know, Montel Jordan and and some Next songs oh, and and great. Usher, and uh, we call it Carmen's Electra. <laughs> that's fun. We just do that, you know, for for certain parties or if someone asks for that specifically, you know. Right. But uh, also, I've, I've become uh, friends with some some of the guys in Iceman Special who Great, are yeah who band. are coming up right Saw now. Saw them yesterday yeah, after awesome. the fest. And, uh, Saw you there. Saw you both there. Yeah. We were there. We were all there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we started a band with the two brothers of the uh, of the Iceman uh, called Big Worm, and it's kind of just like a dub reggae band where. Oh sweet. Yeah, I play mandolin in it. Kind of. Right I run it through my guitar pedals, and it's kind of like steel drum effects, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's a lot of fun too. You know, we try to do that. Whenever we can, we put we played at the Mom's Ball this past year. That's a big as hit. well as the Quickening. Yeah, That's yeah, it's fun. Oh, yeah, Big Worm and the Quickening playing. Oh, yeah, sweet. What's that yeah, like? What's Mom's night. Ball like? Oh, it's the best. Well, lots of people don't know, but <laughs> I've never been. I know what it is, but for those listening at home, uh, let's see. It's probably about mm. ten bands throughout the whole night. Uh, a couple different stages this past year. You know. It was. Um, it's a Mardi Gras ball. It's a Mardi Gras ball. It's the misfits of Mardi Gras ball. Right. Some of the best costumes you'll see on Mardi Gras, yeah. and you know they come up with a theme, and there's a king and queen and jester every year, and okay. they kind of do uh, the captain's party before, and that's that's where the quickening played was in the the 
crew area room. Crew only. Yeah, okay. so it was like the the king and everybody was out there Sick. getting down. Yeah, and uh, Fritz played too. Yeah, Fritz was there. Yeah, yeah. and Carl Denson. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Was that the first time you played Mom's Ball? That, uh, the Mardi yeah. Gras Mom's Ball, yeah. Yeah, the Mardi Gras. We, they have other parties. They have Halloween parties we've done okay. before. It's summer uh, Mardi Gras. Yeah. Cool, man. That sounds awesome. It's on the to-do list to get to a Mom's Ball. I've been you gotta asked, come down. can I come down? It's, just, it's hard to come yeah. twice right. a year. But for sure. One of these days. Kind of back-to-back, too. Yeah, yeah, for real. Well, <laughs> we just went to Swanee Rising like three weeks ago. To do oh, that yeah. and come here mm-hmm. was, you know, difficult to say the least, but we made it happen. It was rewarding so yeah dedication you know, yeah, that's really what it's all about it's it's a it's a costume mandatory party so if you come mandatory. you gotta make sure you got you yeah. gotta look good because if you don't they make you take your pants off and they put you in like a, a jail cell kind of thing with only your underwear on your if you're entry. lucky if you're lucky you're wearing underwear yeah right. if not they make you strip down naked and oh that's hilarious stay in jail costume jail until that's you're ready to come out quintessentially new orleans uh-huh. that, that whole thing right there well uh wanted to just ask what you each one final question it's been awesome to talk to you about you know the quickening and new orleans and being young and on the come up um but just an opportunity for you to share an artist whether it's a local cat that you want to see win or an old school legend who you uh, you know channel or derive your own creative energy from just a chance to pay tribute to someone who really motivates you to create who wants to go first what you think? I'm, mm. I'm thinking right off the bat, Gene Yamagichi is somebody to, that everyone needs to hear oh, and yeah. needs to go see and uh, pay attention to because he's like the the silent ninja of guitar. You know, you, you never know where he's gonna play or what band he'll play with. But um, he was the guitarist for Papa Grows Funk. He's played with One right. One Runners, a uh, bunch of the New Mardi Gras indie and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, he was playing the Nikki and the Homies show last night. Really? Yeah. Oh, I hate that fire. I missed that. Hey. Yeah, yeah. It was Dude, a nice room. mixture. You see, of, I had no idea who was on that game. I would have totally been there. <laughs> yeah, he was crushing him, Nige. You know, it's great. Chris Royal. It was, it was yeah. awesome. Hats off so, to you, June. <laughs> yeah, June's amazing, and uh, you know that's a great call, and that's awesome for you as a guitar player. And yeah. as somebody like his energy on stage and in performing, what he exudes. Beyond right. the guitar, right. just in his mannerisms and his sort of aura, yeah. is just joy. For sure, and that's for incredible sure. to behold it time and time again. Like you said, nothing but smiles. Who he's playing for yeah, what it is. Yeah, and they're having their uh, annual once a year show tonight. That's it. That. I'll be there for, for sure tonight. Right on. Also, uh, as a solo a solo artist, Helen Gillet is an oh, incredible yeah. celloist, and she's fantastic. She sings in French and she loops, you know, and she does a whole bunch of really yeah, uh, you know, time signatures and stuff. Helen's a real. She's usually just her, and she's killing it. Yeah, she's, she's so a, good. The definition of avant garde. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's incredible. So yes, two awesome local shout outs. Yes, indeed. All right. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to um, a sister, friend, collaborator. Her name is Kristen Bradford, and she's a vocalist from New Orleans who um, I've always looked up to. When I first moved here, she was hot on the scene, and I was just sort of like entranced by her presence on stage. And I'm entranced uh, by her heart and like how she's able to speak and just like dive into um this like infinite wisdom of soul and heart and she's been going through it lately she like she fell broke her jaw was wired shut Mm -hmm. and like as a person who has so much to say and like so much very poetic so much voice i just uh she's been heavy on my heart we've been really connecting but um 
yeah, I just want to draw people's attention to that shining star. She's she's a wonderful person and a super talented vocalist and writer, and uh, Does she she's have a on record, the rise. A she she was actually about to release an EP before her accident, before um, she fell. She's living out in the Bay Area, actually. Um, so y'all should definitely connect. Yeah, I would love that. Uh, she's going to be headed back out there when she's all healed up. Okay. But um, yeah, she's just, she's special, man. Kristen Bradford. I'm my girl. Right on. Mm-hmm. Well, a sweet shout out. And I know yeah. we wish Kristen well on healing and returning to her you know, glorious singing self mm-hmm. in short order. Um, so thank you both for those thoughtful replies and for making the time this afternoon beautiful day here Absolutely. in your amazing city, my 17th Jazz Fest, and <laughs> as good as it could possibly have been. And an uh, appropriate way to kind of sign off is to let people know something that they can look forward to, which is the quickening. Yes, indeed. You guys are doing it. Yes, indeed. See you yeah, at the party, y'all. See y'all there. Right on. All right, signing <laughs> off. Thank you, Brian. Up for Life podcast. We'll see you next time. say thank you to Blake and Rachel from The Quickening. Make sure you check them out. Check out their album, Begin Again. Keep an eye if you see they're coming through your side of town. Really a great young band on the come up. You want to be looking out for The Quickening. And now we're going to finish things up on episode 19 with the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. Speaking of vibes... In the background, you're hearing a peasant party. That's Little Baby Jesus Peasant Party featuring Jesus Coombs, Eric Benny Bloom, Ryan Zoidis, and Adam Deitch from Lettuce, Jesus' brother Tycoon, and Break Science's Borum Lee, as well as D Vibes. This is going on live right now as I'm recording this podcast. Uh, that's what is happening. The Live for Live music is streaming it live from Denver. So I was actually trying to record this segment a while back and then I saw the stream pop on and I've been vibing out ever since. But like all good things, episode 19's got to come to an end. So we're going to send it off with the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. And, uh, you know, I've been really wanting to play some other stuff outside of the New Orleans uh, sort of paradigm if you will but every you know last time it was the sad uh, passing of Dr. John and you know before that it's just been a lot of New Orleans content and I've been feeling like playing New Orleans music um, so for this uh, in essence the last jazz fest centric episode of the Up for Life podcast for this year uh, thanks to Luke Caranta and the quickening we're going to send it off with uh, one last New Orleans piece of music by way of the bay and we talked about this record a little bit with Robert Walter uh, this is a uh, not Robert Walter record but we discussed it briefly in his interview 
It's the original Garage A Trois EP, Mystery Funk. Uh, the OG Garage A Trois, which is uh, starting to play gigs again sporadically, but this is the very first thing they laid down as Garage A Trois. With Charlie Hunter on eight string guitar, Skerrick on sax, and Stanton Moore on drums. And this is a vinyl only EP from 99. Uh, the way I understand it is they went in, they recorded a record for uh, for Stanton Moore solo album called All Cooked Out that has the classic Jafuncta. And then they got on so good that they were like, let's do something a little weirder. And uh, they hit the studio for uh, some groovy funk, as they like to say. Uh, vinyl only release, Mystery Funk, Garage de Trois. It's only uh, like 24 minutes long, the whole four-song EP. So I'm just going to let the whole thing ride out. And if you don't want to listen to the whole thing, that's cool. But uh, it's just kind of like a continuous vibe. Mystery Funk, and then Chupacabra, and then Swami, and then FCR theme. Um, and with that, that'll be the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. And that'll be a sort of uh, Sayonara to New Orleans for the time being on the Up For Life podcast. We're going to turn the page and get into some other shit. Uh, but we appreciate the Crescent City, uh, in my opinion, the greatest American city, and all she has to offer, musically and otherwise. And now they got Zion Williamson too, so wouldn't you know it. New Orleans on the come up, as always. So going to sign off for episode 19 of the up for life podcast give you a little bit more peasant party and then the vibe junkie jam of the week mystery funk garage a toi you've been listening to the up for life podcast episode 19 i'm your host b gets and we'll see you next time
Remember 